Hello. Um, just reminding people we are in a bar, so if you want to drink, please do. I'm for this drunk audience. I don't know how the rest of the panel feels. I think Darwin, you okay with that? I think they're making me one now. Yes, <laughs> I hope. Um, okay, I guess I'll introduce, or maybe you guys can introduce yourselves. It's a lengthy list. So if you're I'm Ray Fox. I'm a writer and illustrator of uh, Possessions and uh, a forthcoming book called One Soul. And uh, I've done some work for DC Vertigo and Marvel Comics. Hi, uh, I'm Darwin Cook, a uh, cartoonist. I, I don't know, worked for most of the companies and uh, currently doing a series of crime books for IDW and a bunch of other crap. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joyce Mackey. I am an illustrator. Uh, I made the poster this year. Uh, and I have a book co-written with my cousin, Skim, and a book with John Quarterly, Indoor Voice, and working on Teach at SVA. And I'm working on, a, we're, me and Marika are, are working on a new book right now. My name's Stuart Eminem. Uh, I've been working in comics for 23 years now, uh, primarily for Marvel and DC. The last six or seven years for Marvel. Uh, although uh, uh, we began by self publishing Captain Nine, and uh, we uh, last year published a book with Top Shop called Movie Pictures. And uh, this year, uh, debuting at the at the festival, I've got a book of illustrations of comics called Santa Volume Two. So the concept, the general concept of the panel um, tossed around was kind of looking at the Canadian identity working it within kind of a mainstream scope. Um, what they really meant was Canadians whoring <laughs> in the mainstream. I think it's a real title here. Is this time for more pain for it, jokes? <laughs> um, so it, it's... I'm kind of curious, like a big thing for me, I do a radio show called Ink Studs, and a big thing of what I cover is Canadian cartoonists. I had a book, uh, Jillian is in the book, that interviews with, uh, about half of it's with Canadian folks. And it's really important to me to kind of know the legacy we have as Canadian cartooning industry. Um, and kind of, I'm curious, what does this mean? What is being a Canadian cartoonist? Is it a separate entity? Is it a separate experience? Is it the same experience? How do you come to blah, blah, blah? So lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> the mic turns to me. Because I'm, I'm well known for my deeply Canadian sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You don't have to answer all those questions either. Yeah, you know what? I, what, what I am going to say, though, is I, I think it's rather difficult to ask any kind of artist what it means to be particularly uh, their nationality of artist. Uh, because... I think most artists and writers sort of strive for a universality, if that means anything. Like, like we strive to, to be translatable and to be relevant to many people. And, um, you know, not that, not that we don't want to be difficult, but uh, it's hard to pin down something and say, I, I do that because I'm Canadian. Um, That's such a Canadian answer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so true. I, I've always said, I, I, I've worked extensively down there. Uh, I, I worked in the Warner studio on the, the Batman and Superman animated shows. And, you know, it'd be three in the afternoon and you'd be buzzing down the hall and you'd notice eight of them standing around the water cooler complaining about the Koreans stealing all their work. And, and my favorite joke was always, look, there's nothing a Canadian can do that five Americans couldn't do better. <laughs> and, and I think that's a big difference. Uh, we don't have the population base or the resources 
uh, to have, <coughs> say, uh, adopted the, the attitude or the mindset of a lot of our contemporaries down there. So I think we come into it with a, with a more can-do philosophy and a more resourceful uh, approach to the work. Uh, at least that's something I, I'd say I noticed. Yeah, I don't, I don't really... I think those have been good points. Um, again, it's not something that I am trying to push a Canadian agenda <laughs> through my work or anything like that. I, I just sort of... Um, of the story, some of the stories that I've had have been Canadian, but it's almost an incidental. It's not really some sort of, uh, again, agenda or thing that I'm trying to convey to the world. It's, you know, I think it's always like do what you know and do what, you know, that you can um, convey with some sort of honesty and truth or integrity. And, and if it happens to be in Toronto, then, you know, whatever. But uh, I do know a lot of illustrators in the States. I live in New York uh, that are Canadian, and it's sort of, it's like, we look like everybody else, you know? Like, there's, like, oh, people are always so surprised that every Canadian seems like, um, and I don't know why that is. Maybe I think there is um, sort of this attitude where you do have to strive a little higher and work a little harder and um, come down and make your name, and I know a lot of them come back, but uh, I think that there is, I don't know, something in the air, but, you know, it's just... I think that they do have to work a little harder, and that is a huge component to anybody's success. You you uh, illustrated a portrait of President Obama recently, did you? Where, uh, yeah, New York Magazine. Yeah. So uh, was there like a backlash from American traders <laughs> <laughs> who thought you were taking work away? <laughs> no, they, I mean they have no clue. No clue. I mean, again. Right. Yeah. And and you didn't. It didn't affect. You know how you see yourself, no. or you know you weren't selling out you know, any more than normal. I think there's a benefit to being somewhat of an outsider. You're, you know, you don't look so different from an American, and you can pass <laughs> as an American. But Just I think, right? But I think that some that there is uh, something to being an outsider that is very sort of puts you in an interesting position, which is um, to your benefit, actually. Sure. You know? I think we're better able to, to see the, the flaws in America and, and the strengths in America just because we're this right. at arm's length. We're able to maybe observe it in a more detached fashion than they are. Does it maybe seem, make us seem a little more insightful when we're writing about America? My, not to them. <laughs> <laughs> not to them. Not at all. No, if you mention you're from Can from Canada <laughs> to them, the, the number one response you get to that is, ah, we saved your butts in WW too. Honest to God, this is something that twenty two well, year old throw, throw yeah, out. Are you from Toronto? You, you hang out with the <laughs> probably, but oh, I guess. Well, I mean, like everybody else, it seems. I, I, I guess I personally don't think about it too much, and I don't think it uh, has any bearing on the work that I produce. I just try and you know be the best artist I can be, uh, and don't think about borders or nationality or any of those things too much. Um, I know that when we've traveled around the world, uh, the question that gets uh, asked by comic um, fans or, or readers. Uh, in different countries is, you know, how familiar are we with uh, the creators that are from that country? So, you know, for France, how well do I know the comic scene there? And and I always feel really bad because I just don't pay attention. Not not just with my own work, um, because it, it is really uh, transparent. It's it's not a factor for me at all. Um, but I don't. Uh, you know, if I see something that I like or read something that I like, I just like it regardless of the origin. And I don't really, uh, you know, and often we, uh, we read things in translation, so there's this other uh, layer to uh, uh, the, you know, muddling it up that, that uh, interferes with, you know, whether I think that, you know, this is a fantastic Japanese book or Italian book or, you know, these are creators that, you know, and drawn on a tradition that's completely different. No, you're not wrong. Um, you know, we love our American overlords, uh, <laughs> frankly. Uh, and I, you know, part of me was thinking it's really interesting that we're having this conversation, and, and it's always, you know, it's, it's how, how are we Canadian uh, contrasting compared to uh, Americans, right? 
but the fact is uh, we're basically all working for American companies um, and making reasonably good livings doing so. If we could do the same work in Canada, uh, I certainly would. Uh, the state of dollar is killing us. Oh, yeah. So it's, I, I mean, anyone in this room, if someone, you know, walked into your job, if you have a you know, regular day job and they said to you, you know, your income is going to drop by 35% over the next five years. Exactly. I mean, yeah. how, what was your reaction? This is your reward for 20 years yes. of service yeah. for this company. I yeah. can't explain this to anybody. They, they glass over, but I, yeah. I tell them when I started in 01, our dollar was worth 65 cents. Yeah. U.S. Yeah. and now theirs is worth eighty cents Canadian. Mm -hmm. So we are all taking. So that you pay factor cuts. that pay cut in, yeah. and like, yeah, nobody. I couldn't get arrested eight years ago, and now I'm apparently well known, and I'm working for thirty percent less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, it's in terms of what it means to be a, a Canadian making work. I mean, that's a hard fact of being a Canadian making work, if you want to talk about things that are actually influencing your production, uh, that is a huge one, and I, uh, I can't lie about it, and it's increasingly becoming a concern for us. Uh, at the same time, that work doesn't exist here. You know, we, we cannot make uh, Marvel Race at any Canadian company. Um, you know, there's some odd film work uh, that we can get for scale, uh, which actually does not too badly, um, but generally speaking, it's the, the regular work is just not in this country. So. The other part of that is that the cost of living here is not appreciably different than it is in the States. Unlike other uh, uh, international talent that they hire from uh, European countries, Spain, Portugal, or, or South America, where there, there may be a substantial uh, difference in the cost of living, so that uh, the, even though the U.S. dollar is worth less universally or globally, uh, uh, it's still better than what uh, could be earned you know, locally in, in less affluent parts of the world. Well, the other thing, too, um, and I'm only speaking again for mainstream production, uh, the way the division of labor is, um, you know, penciling, and it's becoming less and less common, um, but penciling, inking, coloring, all these things uh, being separated out, uh, most of the um, most, many of the creators that are coming in now from Spain, uh, particularly and Italy, uh, they're working tradition where they pencil and ink themselves. Um, so their it's their work relates differently to uh, the working climate uh, to the, the structure at Marvel DC for sure. Whereas you know we grew up with what is essentially the American system and our expectations for how work was divided was like that certainly 25 years ago. It was not common um, for people to be, you know, Pennsylvania being coloring their own work the way it has become more common now. So, um, yeah, we've absolutely, you know, the way we make work has totally been, in, the technicalities of how we make work has been absolutely influenced by um, the American model. That's uh, for certain. But can that change now? Um, that with the skill, the utilities that are available with computers and such, to be able to, as a Marvel DC cartoon, to be able to do their your own coloring or your own lettering. Oh, oh sure, absolutely. Yeah. But, but Stuart, there are I mean, examples. But you're, I mean, you're in a relationship that's, you know, Stuart's relationship with Wade is almost as long as his relationship with me. <laughs> <laughs> so there, you know, that's the way that's going to continue uh, to be. And Wade doesn't want to work digitally, and that's his choice. So, but you forge these relationships and ways of, of doing work, and then, you know, you're beholden is, is not the right word, but, you know, you have obligations to, to the people around you, for sure. Um, just to clarify, I wasn't meaning to kind of, when I was starting this, not to be like, what makes us different than Americans, I just kind of more... Oh, but but that is the most Canadian thing He's to, a, yes, to yeah. contrast yourself with Americans. And you're apologizing for your introduction. You're so <laughs> typically Canadian. After this, I'm going to go back to my hotel room and drink a bottle of rye. <laughs> um, were there any specific Canadian influences growing up? That's an interest to me as far as like mapping out what to produce as a cartoonist, as a creator. When I first started making comics, I was, a, I, I was not trained in making comics, and it was just something I was interested in and wanted to try. 
And so I went to my library, and um, I, it's not like I had a bank of comics, so I had been reading them, and I just sort of sought out to educate myself. And um, who did I find there? But, you know, like Chester Brown and Seth and Michelle Ragabuati and um, all these other, you know, probably because it was a library in Edmonton that they had them there, but that w became sort of this, those were the comics that really influenced me on my starting me out, out. And it's because they are sort of like the best that there is and if you're going to talk about autobiographical comics or that sort of genre of comics that they're you know, forget that they're Canadian at all they're just sort of like the best in, in their superstars I guess you <laughs> saw like with the uh, lineup that was just happening over there um, so it um, they're just sort of forget that they're Canadian that, that they were um, a huge influence just because they are sort of the top of the game right and what was when was that? What year? That was 2004-2005. You just did. So that's interesting because it's it's like the same group uh, for us, except like 20 years <laughs> to the uh, Because you know, I, I knew that John Byrne, uh, uh, Todd McFarlane, these guys are, are Canadian then. But uh, as far as how that related to whether I thought uh, there were avenues for me in comics. Um, if I wanted to stay in this country, uh, work out of this country, but you know, do work for uh, have a, a long-lasting career, it didn't. Uh, those two things seemed quite separate to me, and it wasn't until uh, Vortex was publishing here in Toronto in the late '80s that uh, that's what I was going to point out. That's, yeah, we sort of yeah. suddenly realized, oh, you know, There's there are actually people us. associated with the production of these things, and it can happen mm -hmm. here. It can happen to me. I was going to suggest Ravosh. Yeah, yeah, of course. Paul Rav yeah, yeah, to a lesser extent, Dean. You know, Dean Waters. Yeah. You know, Vision sort of drove that book, but I remember being profoundly influenced by Paul's work and seeing that that it was possible uh, to to perhaps pursue this because this was before any of the the independent uh, scene had really flowered the w the way it, it was just about to, and they were a tremendous boost yeah. to know that. There were Canadians producing like simply the best-looking stuff out there, mm -hmm. and and uh, I remember really taking everything they did to heart and sort of uh, trying trying to play with it. Now it's all in play now. It's funny though that for me, when I was getting into this stuff, uh, and I was reading like the Mister X stuff that was blowing my mind, um, but it had a translucency to me because I was I was also reading stuff by like Matt Wagner and Bernie Moreau, who at the time I didn't know were Canadian. Right. It took me a, a, a while to learn that and at the while at the time I also you know when I first was buying Mr. X I didn't know that that was actually being produced in Toronto uh, it took me a, a little bit of educating myself to find that out and when I did you're, you're right it totally blew my mind it made me say well, you can do that here well at the time too uh, heavy metal magazine which was you know the name tells you one thing but at that time they were reprinting wonderful uh, Daniel Torres stories and Yves Shalon stories and that all hooked together into what Revolution and Modern were doing and yeah it, it just convinced me wow there's this whole other I don't have to draw like you know Mike Grell in order in order to to take a run at this yeah I can I can take this this approach I prefer and yeah so those guys were just a great inspiration I just want to say uh Ken, do you have any comments? Ken Stacy, who worked at Vortex at the time, <laughs> over there with the glasses. Hi, Ken. Do you have any comments on anything? Yeah. Um, this is something that I struggle with, too. It's, it's the very nature and, and, and that's the core of who we are as Canadians. And it's, it is, I think, an irony of all this how tax looks out of the border because, for whatever reason, I'm just a population base or a culture or whatever, it's never going to sustain, you know, a, a, a international economy. I'm probably the only one ancient enough up here to remember when you got started, and and I can wow, yes, <laughs> I can remember going into Memory Lane, and I think the very first piece of original art I saw was a piece of yours that George had up, and a piece of Gene Day's work, and uh, I said, "Who are those guys?" And he said, "Well, they they live in town." Uh, I think he had a copy of Orb, 
with them there? That's right. That was uh, super student. Yeah. That's a long time ago, right? <laughs> and that was my first inkling that there were actually Canadians out there wanting to do this and doing it. Uh, I thought it was all alone. But like I say, you know, Darwin, it's, it's a struggle we've all had because I'm sure we all, I, I want to be Jack Kirby like <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I started reading, um, um, you know, Hergé and um, Alfred Bessel's group there, and then I discovered Marvel Comics, and that was it. But then later in my own career, I discovered uh, British Comics, so it was my announcement. So it, the sense of nationality, national identity, was never quite an issue. I think Chet's success with uh, Louis Riel has sort of refocused Canadian talent in a certain way. So it, well, it's more of an issue now than it was. Accepted. It was probably the top ten well, out of forty. Well, there was the, uh, well, got to the top I, five yeah, but then it was, but then it was not. It. There was that on-air debacle. Yeah. Oh, was there a debacle? Yeah. Oh no. man, <laughs> I, I, I've never. You know, uh, she uh, and by she I mean Debbie Travis. She voted for she of the paint. Yes, with the toothbrush. The stencil girl. The, okay. She got voted it. for a book she hadn't read. What? At, to stay and voted Essex County out based on principle that it wasn't a book. Now, she hadn't read one of the five books she was supposed right, to read, right. but she let it pass through unread and voted Essex County out. I think it's a huger success, though, for it to be included in it in the, in the first place. I mean, I, I think that the CDC, uh, when our book came out in 2008, they were all over it. I mean, they had a month of the CDC Book Club uh, talking about graphic novels, and there is such a huge gap still with um, acceptance and knowing what a graphic novel is, and and what you know why is comic a weird word, and but I mean the, the gap, Governor General's award included. I mean, um, okay, well our book was nominated for Governor General, but it was for the text, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like so bizarre. 
and it's just it's just a growing pain. I kind of see that as you know, it's it's an acceptance, but it's like a not a fully understand. But you can't expect people to just sort of be instantly aware of the canon um, of what comics are, how comics are produced, you know, their their history and everything else. Um, but to, for them to even sort of have like a little bit of acceptance, the, the the knowledge will come, and sort of like the the respect and sort of the um, uh, to understand in a, in a more complete way will come with time. But the fact that they're not this sort of a ghettoized thing anymore is is a huge step. And, I, I, and uh, so the CBC has done, I think, not to totally defend the CBC, but, <laughs> here, but, but I mean, I think that they were very, very supportive of, of our book, at least. Yeah. Well, and regardless of what happened with X, X County with Canada Reads, um, you know, we can say that because Lemire skipped out. <laughs> well, except that, you know, you know who that was really good for? That was really good for Top Shelf, and that's really good for comics. It's so, good, period. I mean, who yep. cares about right. Canada Reads? Well, look so at how it's really great for the publisher, which is really great. The Twitter trending for the next day, you know, that, that book was all over the media for the next day. It was right. a huge yeah. discussion, and, and that's that makes a big and difference. And the debate yeah. stirs. Sales and yeah. stirs conversation. Like I couldn't believe it. Like when the governor not to bring that up again, but I mean, it was a news headline, you know, on the CBC website that you know you're talking about the nature of storytelling in comics as a genre as like a news headline. It was phenomenal. So that's again, I, I agree. I think it sort of it comes out in the wash, and you know, to have uh, even a little bit of a debate uh, is a good thing for comics because it enters the consciousness in a way that it wouldn't. Uh, all I was thinking and saying about this is, um, you know, maybe these the growing pains we say we're experiencing. I mean, do they have anything to do with the fact that um, we don't have a strong Canadian comic book industry? Mm. Uh, that that the majority of the industry is working in the south, or does that have anything to do with it? See, I don't expect the public to have it all figured out, but I did expect the jurists right. to yeah. have to right. have already bought into the notion that it was a legitimate entry. And when you hear them live on air saying, well, I don't like it because it doesn't have enough words in it. There's not, like, mm -hmm. literally, the one comment was, there's not enough writing in this book. And it's like, every page of that book is written. You know, it, there's so much that's written that you don't see in a book of that nature. Of it, it's it's written and rewritten and and, and then drawn. It, it's like the notion that there's not as much work in it. I, I was kind of astonished by that that they hadn't even come to terms with that notion. You know, Ali Valshi said uh, there's not not it's too many pictures. This isn't helping kids read. <laughs> I'm looking for things that are going to help kids read. And, and all I remember when I was a kid was that's all I read. Right. Stan Lee gave me a vocabulary. <laughs> True believer. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm really in agreement with, with everything that's been said already. Uh, I, I think generally it has uh, benefited comics, uh, and I think it's benefited Jet, uh, and I think it's benefited Top Shelf. I think last I checked, the uh, Essex County is still at the top of the, the, the book list numbers for Canadian comic publications. Um, so that's all great. Uh, and, you know, as far as uh, the publishing industry goes, I, McClellan and Stewart uh, are toying with comics uh, to a very minor but, you know, appreciable degree. And I expect that they'll, they'll keep doing more. Uh, there are other publishers, non-comic publishers that are doing material that uh, you know wouldn't have even considered it yeah. uh, as little as five years ago. So uh, I get actually it, a lot of calls from educational. Sure. Yeah. Uh, public. You know, they, they put out you know educational readers and they want comics for that. I mean, that's a, that's a job for somebody. You know, yeah. that's and that's uh, a comics related. This is why for thing, 20 you know? years, Joe Kubert, and then the 30 years before him, Will Eisner, illustrated all of America's military manuals. Because they found out in World War II that if there's one thing a young soldier will read, it's a comic. He won't read a book, but he will read a comic. So they decided this is the best way to teach them how to oil a gun, how to uh, take an air filter off of a Jeep. And so they, for the last 50 years, that's, that's how they communicate this information. Yeah, it's... Now they've got YouTube. That's right. 
hyperviolet video games. Oh, sweet. <laughs> And on a lighter note, I've always used Canada as like a get out of this job card. Right. Because, you know, you'll get guys badgering you to do things. Then you may not particularly want to do them. And uh, Marvel were trying to talk me into doing a uh, an ecstatics uh, book. And I really didn't want to do it. And so I told the editor, okay, look, I won't do the ecstatics. I'll do the little green potato guy. Do and it'll be like Wolverine Dude, the ultimate team-up. But it's got to take place in Toronto. <laughs> and I want all the main action on College Street. And you have to give a part to Mel Lastman, who's the mayor here. And, you know, Milligan phones me up two hours later. And he goes, right, no problem. You, you Tell me a bit about College Street. What are the names of some of the places on it? And it's like, fine, whatever you want. And it's like, ah! <laughs> and then two years ago with Jonah Hex... Uh, Palmiotti and Gray cornered me in a bar and we'd been drinking all night and it was like their 10th attempt to get me to do a Jonah Hex and I said okay he's got to come to Canada there's got to be drunken corrupt Mounties not those guys in the red jackets but the real deal I want real filthy horrible horrible people I want to fight with wolves and like I ran down this entire list of Canadian nonsense <laughs> thinking this will shut them up and then a week later they wrote the script if anyone's read it they put every damn thing I said <laughs> in so there you are there's something you said there about you know kind of continuing the Canadian legacy of uh, the stereotype of uh, using it to your favor or disfavor of having to be worse. they know so little about us you know? it does you are somewhat of an exotic cash <laughs> there is some cachet to really it. Can but, uh, yeah, they love it. I don't know. <laughs> I think that they, the Americans find Canadians amusing. Especially since once they learn that there's so many of us like floating around. My friends all refer to Canada as America's hat. Right. So wow. I just, my counter is, uh, I think America is Canada's diaper. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to think of us as your hat, you go right ahead. Do you, is there... In your communities of contemporaries, do you kind of feel surrounded by Canes, or do you, is it more international? I think there's a lot of us. Yeah. I think we, we seem, to, that, we seem to encounter like each other all the time. Number of us? Yeah, especially in the illustration. Yeah. Like, there's like a ton of Canadians. I think we're like uh, comedians in that regard. Yeah. Canadian comedians have always, you know, really done well down there yeah. and outnumber, you know, per capita. How does that work as a, as a community within your own creation? I know it was weird for me to move to Halifax and find out that two of my neighbors were Steve McNiven and Brian Lee O'Malley. <laughs> it was like Joe Marvel, Joe DC, and Joe Indy. Yeah. And we were all like in the sticks in the middle of nowhere out on the outer edge of the country. And so, yeah, it's weird. It's like wherever you go, there's one of us. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you expect to find Canadians in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit weirder. I hate doing panels with guys uh, who are smart. Americans <laughs> might be living here for work. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, again, uh, I mean, so much uh, social communication is done online, and you really don't know unless somebody's, you know, uh, Twitter handle, you know, has. <laughs> something about uh, indicating that they're from Canada. You just don't assume. Uh, so if it turns out that somebody's not American, which is sort of the baseline assumption, then yeah. of course they've got to come from somewhere, and if they're not speaking with uh, a European accent, then you know, the choices are limited. With illustration, I mean, it's so... They don't even know. And they don't actually really care. I mean, I, we're having a whole panel about it, but I don't think that American publishers really care where you're emailing from because it is all over email and it's all over uh, uh, the internet and the phone and it's like they they just phone the number or send the email and they, they don't really know where you're coming from and that's the beauty of the new model in a way is that you can work in Wolfville, Nova Scotia or wherever and it's, it's fine it's, it's more of a time uh, time zone thing as opposed to anything else. Yeah, well, with the internet and, and with travel, too, the fact that we usually tend to see each other at shows a lot, there's a there's a placelessness to a lot of us. I, I tend to encounter surprise with editors when 
they ask me where to send something to, and I say I live in Toronto. Right. Uh, it's a surprise to them that I'm not from some nameless place in America. Right, right. I have a very, uh, an editor who I won't name because that wouldn't be fair, but I've been working with this guy for six years, basically talking on the phone once a day, Monday to Friday, for the last four of those years because we've become quite close. And he's located in New York. And at one point in the conversation one day, he said, well, what time is it up there right now? <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me, man? And he goes, what do you mean? What time is it there? And I go, okay. And that's when I like to start the game. It's like, uh, so where do you think Toronto is? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? Well, well it's up there. And, and I go, yeah, but where up here? And he goes, well, it's in, what, Vancouver, right? <laughs> and I'm telling you, this is a man who makes over $200,000 a year. He's university educated. And uh, I said, do you know where Niagara Falls is? And he goes, oh, yeah. And I go, Toronto's 45 minutes north of Niagara Falls. Bullshit. <laughs> he wouldn't believe me. We had to Google a map. <laughs> and he was just, wow, so we're in the same time zone. Yes. Six years in. And to talk about disconnect, I will work, have worked with people for years and then find out I thought they were a man and they were actually a woman. Like, it's like, it's, you're that, it's that, uh, you're that disconnected. That happens to me on the weekends a lot. Yeah, I mean, so it just goes to show how much of my business is not face-to-face -face <laughs> over email, over over other methods of communication. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious because, Darwin, you got started before internet, and same with you, Stuart. How did you get connected into the industry um, pre-internet? Did you have to travel down to New York? Yeah, I went to New York. Yeah, you fly to New York. Uh, I went when I was 20, which was almost 30 years ago, and they had the new talent showcase thing they were doing. Yeah. So I, I worked up a sample and I flew down. And it was a wonderful meeting. Uh, they, they bought my sample on the spot. Julie Schwartz wrote me a voucher. And this had been my life stream. And at 20, I, I was in. And I can remember running out of the office with that voucher. And geez, I went to a phone to, to phone my mom and just say, hey, you know. And I thought, that's it, I'm in. And then it slowly dawns on you. Back then, there weren't even answering machines. There was no FedEx, there was no email, there was no nothing. Like if a phone rang and you weren't home, it just rang. <laughs> and it was impossible to, to actually acquire work and, and get a, to make a living out of it. And I had to leave it behind for 16 years, I guess, before it, it presented itself to me again. So it was a very long time for me. From Is that when you went into animation? And how, how was that? Uh, getting into animation was that a lot easier? Well, it was a, Studios, I don't want to take up too much time. I actually went, I became an uh, art director. I did an art director music magazine, then uh, Flair, and then Chatelaine. And then from there I started my own company, which I sort of built into an animation company. And that lured Bruce Timmon. He had seen some of my work, and uh, so that made that easy. But 16 years later, it was really easy. <laughs> 16 years and 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, uh, I probably had less uh, drive and success than, than Darwin. Uh, <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> uh, but uh, um, Catherine and I self-published in 88 through 1990. Uh, and then we uh, shopped that project around to a, a number of uh, very small black and white uh, oriented publishers uh, all in the States. Uh, Caliber Press is the one that, that showed some interest, and we did uh, one issue of uh, that book called Playground there. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I was trying to do as many projects as I could, and I worked for uh, I don't know how many uh, small black and white uh, publishers um, Rip Off Press, uh, Revolutionary Comics, who did the unauthorized uh, rock and roll biographies that paid nothing and uh, you know, but it was work and it was experience, and that was what was valuable at that time. Uh, so, uh, my phone. Phone still, do still ring? Yeah, ring, ring. Nobody answers. 
So I, you know, I worked for these black and white publishers uh, for three or four years, and all the time I was trying to work out a portfolio for Marvel and DC because I knew that I couldn't survive on twenty-five dollars a page. Uh, for pencils and names um, for these other companies, so you know, I, it wasn't for some you know great desire to draw Spider-Man and Batman. It was just because I, I, I thought that was the next logical step in trying to make uh, a long-term career for myself. Um, but uh, you know, so I pitch by mail. So I'd work up you know a sample of five pages or something, and I'd send it to. Uh, all the editors I could think of at Marvel and DC. Uh, most of them did not respond at all. I got a couple of rejections, rejection form letters, uh, and one or two people uh, who I think were assistant editors at that time and opening the real editor's mail uh, actually wrote some constructive criticism for me. But it wasn't until traveling down to a, a New York comic show that you know I was able to actually meet some people face to face and show them stuff face to face. And that was really the only way to uh, actually get work. And then it was, you know, uh, a 10 page story, and then it was a fill in issue, and then it was uh, uh, filling in for a couple of issues, and then it was a regular series, and then it was a bigger series, and so on. And for you, it's like a totally different road, right? Kind of different road. I mean, it's, it's, I still think ultimately the only way to actually get a job is to put your book in. The, uh, in the editor's hands. For a cartoonist, I, I know for an artist it's different. For an artist, they can look at your work from anywhere in the world and say, we want to hire this guy or we want to hire this gal. But, but they um, also want to see some drive and they, they want to know... Yeah, they need to know the board. person yeah. behind it. I mean, I mean, I actually got my first gig. I got my gig at Vertigo um, because I self-published a book and um, somebody passed the first chapter of it to the uh, chief editor uh, at some point, and, and she contacted me. The Berger? Yeah, the Berger Karen, Karen Berger, yeah, uh, contacted <laughs> me and said, uh, you know, would you, would you consider like, writing this book and have someone else draw it for Vertigo? So it still was a case where I, I self-published the book. I took it around to shows in person. And uh, it just it just so happened I didn't realize that one of the people I sold the book to was an assistant editor. That's exactly right. what happened with me too. Yeah. All project all successes I feel in my life have come from self initiated projects. It's and, funny though because yeah. when that happened to me, I had been attempting to pitch things over email for mm -hmm. like a couple years right. and meeting very little success. Right. Sure. I think it's honestly like just start making things <laughs> and uh, start. Pardon? I don't think that's really no, changing. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's the easiest, it's like the best time ever probably to get your work in front of eyeballs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easier than ever. There's really no excuse to just not be making things. I was at the uh, Joe Kubert School about six months ago. Uh, they asked me to come give a talk, and I, I made a deal. I said, Joe Kubert has to spend 15 minutes with me. <laughs> and sure, I'll come up and Yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll spend all day there talking if he'll do that. Um, but I remember the class being astonished because the first thing I said to them was, forget about print. And they all looked at me like, because they're still, you know, they're young, but they're clinging to this, you know, and it's like, yeah, you, you have to forget everything, you know, about that. Because by the time you're up and running, it's going to drop out from underneath you. Everything's more or less the same. The whole process is the same. But yeah, you've got to you've got to start thinking about where this is going, as opposed as opposed to where it is, and all the all of the opportunities to display your work now are right in front of you, and right. they're they're cheap and they're free, and and it's you know don't kill yourself trying to get a a, a little black and white book printed these days. Kill yourself to get serious web presence, and then make sure. You're infecting all of these editors' offices with it. You'll save a lot of money, and you'll go further faster. Yeah. I want to give uh, the audience a chance if anyone has any questions for the panel. Will you drop Batman for me? I <laughs> <laughs> no one. Not even Ken. <laughs> Come on, Kevin. I'm just enjoying this. <laughs> what Canadians? <laughs> do, you, do you guys have any interest in making particularly Canadian work? 
but I guess that depends on what you mean by Canadian work, right? I think you can like overanalyze this a little bit, you know, yeah. it's, it's sort of, it becomes dogmatic if your thing is like, let's make, I'm going to make my Canadian book now, yeah. you know? Uh, I think it's just like identity is a little bit more nuanced than that. Here's uh, the best example on TV. You know, it drives me mental. Tim Hortons commercial. Hey, Canada, we're all about hockey and we love winter and we're tough people and we like our coffee this way. And it's like we just can't stop reminding ourselves we're Canadian. Or, or you know, it, it's ridiculous how it's mentioned over and over. Like those Molson Canadian beer commercials telling me what I am and what it is to be a Canadian. It drives you mental after a while. I mean, and uh, honestly, I feel like with those commercials, it becomes, uh, they're really sort of playing on the, uh, almost a propaganda thing of um, trying to like sell, sell you a product of, through patriotism, which is really screwed up. Actually. It, it feels to me they're actually talking to Americans. The script writers of those commercials aren't talking to us. We don't need who we are described to us. We know we have winter. It, I don't know. Honestly, well, we won't hold that against you. I have a question. Oh, I was just going to say. Sorry. Actually, ask your question. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know. If someone says we're going to sell you a book that's quintessentially Canadian, right. then yeah, what You're you end up with is, is like the yeah. I am Canadian ad. Right. But it's funny, like you know, I, I write this series of books about this like little ghost who just wants to be taken seriously, and is frustrated because when she attempts to show her personality off, people people write it off as as you know just acting out. And somebody recently said to me, "How quintessentially Canadian of you." <laughs> Right, but that wasn't—that's not my aim. I don't think right. of it as a Canadian book, so it's just—it's just a personality thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> um, I was just thinking the idea of luxury of living in a very uh, historically very peaceful and very safe country so we don't have to develop a strident nationalism right uh, so so yeah our, our nationalism is is rather subdued um, so when somebody asks you to be nationalistically Canadian it's hard to do it without sounding forced after living in the states for what, six years now you see that that actually is quintessentially Canadian and a huge benefit <laughs> and a huge uh, um, uh, that that should be the point of pride almost is like what is it like peace and good government or whatever the, the, the motto is like that is actually a huge uh, an achievement gentle, gentle silence <laughs> right yeah. so. and unicorn. unicorns and beavers yeah. pelts I was in America uh, during 9-11 I was in Los Angeles when that happened and I remember that night, I went out with five or six American guys I work with. And another guy, I'll, I'll leave him nameless for his own sake, said, I, I hear there's these people in Afghanistan. He said, you know, we ought to just nuke them. I looked at him, I said, okay, here's the rules. Tell me where Afghanistan is, <laughs> and I'll let you nuke it. <laughs> and of course he could. What do you mean, where is it? It's over there, you know. Racial slur, racial slur, racial slur, over there. And I said, no, no, on a map. What country is it beside? Because if you want to nuke it, you got to know. <laughs> it's just remarkable, you know. Uh, and and I think Canadians, you know, uh, we we are maybe a little. Our education base is a little broader. Our sense of the world around us a little sharper. And I think we, you know, we can help these poor people. <laughs> it, it seems like we have more of a sense of where we are within the world and less of a sense of where mm -hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll just say that one. Um, well, let's any, debate that then. Anyone else? Oh, oh, yeah. Um, simple question, maybe stupid. Do you guys think that Canadians are just sort of intrinsically or apparently or whatever, hopefully, 
I think we, we I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think um, what seems typical of many of the Canadian writers I know is that we're more interested in heroism than we are in heroes, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's what he said. <laughs> yeah, what about him? hallmark of all good superhero writing. You know, I think it's, it's you know, there are lots of American writers who are writing with characters, and also Canadian writers who are writing with characters, and, you know, the, I'm going to use my favorite example, you know, the most interesting thing about Hellcat, it's not Hellcat, it's Patsy Walker, and that goes for Batman. The most interesting thing about Batman is Bruce Wayne, you know. So, I think you know whether you know whether that's a national interest of ours or not is largely relevant if, you, if you're looking at how it plays itself out within you know the culture of comic books. There there are lots and lots of uh, there's lots of great writing coming from people in the states and people here who are interested in you know the character development. I know when I did uh, New Frontier, so, yeah. it was like a whole look at that, and I don't think I could have done that book as an American. Uh, and at the time it was done, they seemed very confused about what it meant, too. And I still think perhaps they are when we look at the content of a lot of their mainstream comics. And I thought it was a lot easier for me looking in to be able to sort of zero in on the aspects of heroism or the nature of, of, of the behavior that, that defines these people as opposed to the little personality quirks or power accents which is, I, I think, the American approach to individualizing them. And I, I do think that, that we are able to, uh, you know, bring, bring a fresh light or, or a new look at, you know, because I, I get, I, I've had literally thousands of people come up to me with that book, and when I tell them I'm Canadian, it stops them dead in their tracks. Because they, they wanted to think, oh, this is an American story by an American, about America. And uh, I say, no, I, when was the last time an American wrote a, a superhero book like this? No, It's, it's, it's funny, though, because you, you, you wrapped it so uh, effectively in Americana. I mean, oh, the, the name of it is sampled from JFK's speech, right? Well, it had to be, because it is. It's all about that, you know. Um. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time today to join us. Shouldn't we end on a joke? Don't you have a good joke? I got no jokes. You got a joke? No. No, I can tell.